Hello, and welcome to Synergy Autism Center's podcast. And I am very excited today to share a very special podcast interview with you with my good friend and colleague, Jonathan Chase. I'll introduce him in the podcast, but I just, he, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to him and you'll get to hear about his experiences with having autism and some of the sensory issues that he um, battles at the same time as really feeling compelled to um, raise his voice and stand up for some issues that he feels very strongly about. So listen in. It's a great podcast and I'm glad you're here. Synergy Autism Podcast. Welcome to Synergy Autism Podcast. I am lucky today to be interviewing my good friend and colleague, Jonathan Chase, who is a advocate, a musician, and I always like to put in that you're a magician because I love seeing your work when kids come in and you just bring out some magic for them and they fall in love with you. So I love saying that part. Um, so welcome. Thank you for having me. Very glad you're here. Um, I thought that we might have some listeners out there who don't know very much about autism. And so I'd like to start this podcast by talking a little bit about that. And um, everyone with autism is different. So everybody's an individual, obviously. So how does autism play out for you? Sure. Um, for me, I'm very sensitive to certain things. Um, the two big areas for me are sound and physical touch. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm v- hypersensitive to touch, so even a light touch feels amplified to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I have to not focus on things like my clothing because I can feel every crease and every thread. So I know I know that some people, like I know Temple Grandin even talks about her face as being more or less sensitive than the rest of her body, but is that just kind of an overall for you, or is it different parts of your body or different? I think I've trained myself not to focus on it uh. because it can be really distracting. Mm. And I can feel when I'm um, on stage with a band if I've got things in my left pocket but not in my right. Mm. So physical touch is very sensitive. And then the other issue for me is hearing. Uh And it's primarily sudden loud noises, especially unexpected concussive sounds. Uh They cause me physical pain. That must be really interesting as a musician. How do you handle that as a musician? Well, in music, it's a different kind of sound. Mm. You know what's going to happen. You can anticipate it. And it's very rare that there's a loud noise without context. Oh, that makes sense. So being in a quiet setting and hearing a firework go off Uh is really jarring for me. But being on stage with a drummer is fine because I know what's happening and there's a purpose behind the sound and I can anticipate it. Wow, yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to share about your own autism? Um, I have anxiety. A lot of it comes from those sensory experiences. I've never been real comfortable in big crowds. And I'm also OCD. Mm -hmm. So that all sort of ties together to make some situations, I think, more challenging than for the average person. 
Yeah, and we're here today to, we will speak in a few minutes about kind of how you've kind of managed and even, um, well, those crowds and things like that in downtown Portland for the most recent protesting that we've seen here. But um, before we get into to the specifics of being downtown, what compelled you to want to take action right now that you know, what, what was going on for you and what you were reading or et cetera that from a political standpoint that made you want to um, be involved in the BLM events? Well, I've always been politically aware. My dad was a political junkie, so I grew up learning about campaigns and politics and polls and learning to be really aware of our world and our society mm -hmm. and also how our systems of government are supposed to work. So I've watched for years as things have happened that are unjust mm -hmm. and the people who have the power to change them aren't taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. There's no sense of urgency. And maybe it's being autistic or OCD, but I've always felt um, that justice and fairness are very important. And I know I, you've taken other kinds of action, like in writing or in uh, how how are what are some other ways that you've decided to um, I don't know ex if explore is the right or take action in the ways that felt good for you. Well, I've worked on political campaigns before. Mm -hmm. um, I published a book for teachers, which is about helping students in the classroom, because that's another setting where sometimes people aren't getting the treatment or support they deserve. So in supporting inclusion and diversity and things like that in the classroom yes. setting. Uh -huh. I, I feel that there's a fundamental baseline of fairness mm -hmm. that everyone should have. Mm-hmm. And when that's not there, it upsets me. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to function in a world where you see things that aren't the way they should be. Mm -hmm. How do you manage? I mean, I, I have a couple clients right now that actually feel all of that, you know, the social justice injustices that are happening across the United States and across the world. But, um, and just they shut down because they're so overwhelmed mm -hmm. by all of that. So how have you managed that piece of it, that wanting to just hold up and ignore it all? Like, why don't, you know, what happens for you? Well, I look at, I look at it in layers, and there are layers that are really big, societal, cultural, national, and it's frustrating to think that there's very little I can do mm -hmm. to change those. Mm -hmm. I and mean, the bottom line is, even if we had an entirely different Congress and president tomorrow, mm -hmm. a lot of these systems wouldn't change just because of that. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think you can get overwhelmed and want to shut down. Yeah. So then I try to take a step back and say, well, like the old saying, all politics is local. Mm -hmm. The federal government doesn't control our city. They don't control our state budget. Mm -hmm. So... I might not be able to directly impact what happens in other towns, but I know how my city works. Yeah, kind of the concept of think globally, act locally. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel better when I'm in control. Mm. 
I think that's an important autism support. Definitely, yes. So if we start thinking there's this crazy stuff, there's this injustice all over the country, and there's nothing I can do, mm-hmm. it creates anxiety and depression and that feeling of wanting to shut down. Yeah. But I can zoom in locally and say, well, there's a lot I can do yeah. to bring that justice to Oregon. Mm-hmm. And we have a mayor, we have a governor, we have a city council, we have a state legislature, we have representatives in Washington who are supposed to be aware of our interests. So I can target any or all of them to Mm -hmm. start enacting change here. And then I feel like I have some level of control and I know that even on, um, if people wanted to find you on social media and things, right, they would be able to. And, and I think sometimes you post about, like, ideas of what to call your Congress people about and things like that. Is that true? Yes. I, I write about my experiences. And there's a lot of journalists and activists who are very involved locally who are fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I... I'm just a little piece in this, and I definitely defer to the leaders of the movement. But I love what you're saying, though, is that it gives you a sense of, I mean, that's true for me, too, that, you know, it's so overwhelming until you can find what is one thing that I can do, and then that makes you feel more in control and less anxious, because you can kind of hold on to something. Yes. Yeah. I like action items. I like Mm -hmm. lists. So it feels good to make a list of things you could do and know that when you check something off, you've taken a step towards making the world a better place or more like the world you want it to be. Yeah. And every letter, one letter might not do much, but if a thousand people write to their congressman, they start to listen. Yeah. One person marching in the street doesn't get as much attention. A thousand of us and people start to listen one day might not have an impact but we're up to close to four months now of almost nightly marches yeah how many days are we at how many is that but the count has changed because of the fires so the protests were put on hold while the community supported those who were in need because of the local wildfires I was, can we stop there for just a second, that I was so impressed with the whole, everybody it seemed like that was involved in the Black Lives Matter movement downtown shifted so quickly to getting clothing and food, et cetera, to the people in need in regards to the fires. Yes. The, The idea of mutual aid which is the different groups that support the protests, Mm -hmm. isn't just about the protests, it's about the community. Mm -hmm. So when they give food, they aren't asking if the person who's hungry is a protester. Mm -hmm. They aren't asking why they showed up. All they know is that they want to support people who are hungry, Mm -hmm. and so they give them food. Mm -hmm. Um, Early in the protest, there was a place called Riot Ribs, downtown yeah one guy showed up with a grill and started cooking ribs just for anybody in the community so a lot of the people who came to him were houseless Uh so they needed the food and then protesters would come because they were tired from marching and protesting and that grew into dozens of grills and people feeding everyone all day they would grill 
in clouds of tear gas. Wow. So the food was ready, so when the gas cleared, people would line back up and the ribs were ready to go. I know. Um, I went downtown a couple months ago now, and the riot ribs had um, just, I don't know, probably... It seemed like 15 grills all set up at that point that were all going at the same time. I mean, they had such a amazing thing going with um, uh, donations for food and things yes. like that. So it was, it was amazing. And yeah. groups, they'd take everything from medical supplies mm-hmm. to clothing, anything people might need, yeah. and distribute it to those who need it. And that's what that's what's really important to me is that this movement we see is about people who care about each other and they Mm -hmm. care about the community and the city. There's no groups. Um, It started with people feeding and then um, a van that would drive around and deliver snacks. They called it the snack van. Feeding protesters or whoever needs it, really. The community, yeah. And then it grew. There's a group called the Witches who come out with little carts every night and they have flashlights and water and hand sanitizer and earplugs yeah i've been really impressed with how much they're taking care of one another there's a group the community there's a group that builds shields that people can use Mm -hmm. to protect themselves when things get dangerous Uh there's a new group that is they call themselves mechanic block and they're out helping protesters and people who can't afford to fix their cars oh wow and I just heard, just in the last few days, somebody started calling themselves, um, I think, Optic Block. And they've been going around helping people with eye care who couldn't afford to have their glasses fixed. Oh, wow. So the idea of mutual aid is so great because it's just regular people in the community helping each other. Well, and we'll make sure that to put some of this in the show notes, too, of kind of what kind of community organizations are there and things like that if people are interested yes so um do you know how many people are down now on a well yeah on a regular basis because i know every night yeah so on a big night we could have a thousand people Uh on a quiet night you could have one to two hundred okay i know that two nights ago there were a couple hundred that went to the ice building Mm. and i think there were 11 arrests that night Wow. And, and how many have you been to yourself so far? I lose track. Ah, okay. Do um, you remember the first one you went yes. to? Yes. Okay, tell me so, about that one. And why did you go the first time? Well, I'd, I'd been involved in rallies before for different causes, for political events, town halls, mm-hmm. things to see, elected leaders, mm-hmm. or um, different political events around election season where there'd be campaign rallies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't been to a BLM-specific march until Mm -hmm. June when um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Mm -hmm. we saw those stories. So many people just felt that we had to do something. Mm -hmm. We had to make a statement that this isn't the society we want to live in. Mm -hmm. So there was a group that was organizing nightly marches. They were peaceful. They were nonviolent. It was just thousands of people who would gather and listen to speakers who were mostly black people Mm -hmm. sharing their experiences and teaching white people like me about what we don't know. Yeah. And then we'd go out, we'd march sometimes for an hour, sometimes all evening. Mm -hmm. And 
that was my first time going out and really getting involved. Mm -hmm. But adjacent to that, there were these events happening downtown at the Justice Center and the courthouse. Yeah, as it got later into the evening, right? Yeah, and that's Mm -hmm. where we started seeing tear gas and impact munitions and people really getting hurt. Mm -hmm. So I avoided that Mm -hmm. for weeks. Now, why did you avoid that part for weeks at first? I knew it was... First, I didn't know what to expect, uh-huh. and then I found journalists who would live stream. Uh-huh. So on Twitter, you could go find journalists, and you could see what it looks like down there. Uh-huh. I thought, that looks really scary and loud. Yeah. But I also thought that it was important. Mm-hmm. That what were the, you seeing on those live streams at that point? Um, tear gas, impact mm-hmm. munitions, which can be rubber bullets, paintballs. Were the Wall of Moms out yet? Not yet. At that point? Okay. Uh, that was when they had they built a fence, and they, people called it the sacred fence, and they would shake it oh, every yeah. night and mm-hmm. then get tear gassed for it. Yeah. And then as these marches grew and grew, the crowd downtown got bigger. Uh-huh. And finally I felt like I had to go see the other side of the protests. I had to see the, you know, the side that was... Not just marching through neighborhoods, but actually confronting the police. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I started going down there. And what what made you feel like you needed to see that part? Um, I felt like I had to do more. Mm. I think I've always felt that if something's important to you, mm-hmm. that you need to take action. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it comes to activism, if it doesn't cost you something that you value, you're not doing enough. Yeah, I think a lot of the events that um, I've gone to as well, they are, they they feel really good to go, but it doesn't necessarily always feel like you are making change, except yes. that by your presence. I mean, of course, the people who can go, but um, yeah, it's almost more educational and for, for understanding our white privilege. But I think when you get into the evening part, it is much more about like, you know, showing our anger a we bit. We call it and the, the, term, the term is direct action. Direct action, yes. So I knew going in that it would be intense. Mm-hmm. And watching the streams, I knew one of the very common things you see are fireworks. Mm-hmm. Big fireworks. And are you someone who has not liked fireworks in the past? Fireworks are one of the, my biggest fears Ah. they cause me more anxiety than just about anything Hmm. because it's physical pain right so because when you hear something that loud you feel it physically as pain Uh uh-huh yeah and it's the suddenness too Mm -hmm. even on at a fireworks show you at least know what's happening at a protest it can be silent until there's an explosion well that's usually how it is right and then The response is tear gas and flashbang grenades, (sighs) impact munitions. All of that stuff is loud and scary and exactly the kind of sound that I don't do well with. Wow, yeah, that was a lot for you to overcome to do something you felt morally responsible to do. Yeah, so I started with earplugs. Uh-huh. And then I have a relative who likes to shoot guns, so he loaned me a set of ear covers for that oh. are for the shooting range. Uh-huh. 
So did, did that help right away? Well, I'll, it helps, but it doesn't mute everything. Uh-huh. And there's still that anxiety that yeah. comes even when it's quiet, just knowing something could happen. Uh-huh. So when I first went... I told myself I would just stay for as long as I could handle. Mm-hmm. So I stayed, something went boom, and I went home. <laughs> and at that point, did you have any other protective gear or just the head um, at that I think point? just the earplugs. Mm. Oh, just the earplugs, okay. And so that, that was what I knew I needed to get more serious. Yeah. So I got a, a bicycle helmet because mm-hmm. you never know when things will be flying. Right. And there have been people who've suffered serious injuries. Yeah. From. Well, head injuries yeah. and eye injuries from not having eye protection and. Yeah. 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 So then I started wearing the earplugs and goggles, and I bring a respirator. I always wear my helmet. I have gloves and long-sleeved shirts. And we'll make sure to have a picture of that in the show notes if people want to know. But tell yeah. us more about that. Like how. What's that like to put all that on, and how how have you managed the sensory needs and all of that? Well, I had to work up to it. So first, I just wanted to experience being around the people uh-huh. on the edges, so I could just make my escape. Uh-huh. And then I worked at getting closer to the center of the action, and I'm going to stay through two fireworks this time. Hmm. I'm going to stay through a round of tear gas. Uh-huh. The first night that I really got tear gassed was the night the mayor came down. Oh, really? And got tear gassed, too. Uh-huh. So I guess we have one thing in common. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to work myself, um, I had to work on my skills. Uh-huh. And in, your tolerance. And, yeah, yeah, in managing anxiety, mm-hmm. on adjusting my expectations, mm-hmm. on being in the right headspace. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and also knowing that I could trust the people around me. Mm-hmm. One thing that struck me on my first night really out with all my gear was a firework went off. And so I backed away, and we were in a park, so I went to a dark part of the park, and I covered my ears and I pushed my my ear coverings down to make them tighter so it would mute the sound more. And a medic came up to me, a street medic, Mm-hmm. And asked if I was okay. Oh, that's really awesome. Just, I wasn't in the crowd. I was way off in the distance in the dark. It, but they were really watching out for all community members, obviously. Yeah. yeah, that would probably help you feel like if you'd trust that scenario then. Yeah, so as I've been out more, I've learned to trust the people around me. I've learned to read things better so I can tell when it's escalating. How crazy that something so unpredictable... Really, it's trying to figure out what is predictable about it. Yeah. (laughs) And then also setting your expectations at a reasonable level. Mm -hmm. You know that if you go out early, you listen to the speakers, you 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 see people, you're probably safe. Mm -hmm. If you're going to stay out late, you better be prepared for what's going to happen. Yeah. Because you don't want to be surprised by tear gas. Well, and I think that I know about you that you like to have an exit plan. Yes. <laughs> so tell us about that. Well, I I plan where I'll park my car. Uh-huh. Um, to make sure that you can 
I know it, it didn't always work out that no. way from something I remember you saying. Yes, <laughs> I have some stories. Yes, yes, yes. But I always plan my escape. Mm-hmm. But I've also learned that if you're in this sort of event, sometimes you have to give up control. Mm-hmm. There have been times when you just have to go with the crowd mm-hmm. and you concede, I don't know when I'll get back to my car. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I can leave this situation. Gosh, what did you do for yourself in those scenarios? Like, how did you walk yourself through that? I had to work up to it. I yeah. couldn't have done that on night one. Ah, so once you knew kind of the other pieces <clears throat> that were required and that you some people around you had your back, yeah, you were more able to the... take that on. The first night that I got tear gassed, I was way at the edge of the crowd, so I didn't get a big face full of it, but I could feel it in the air. I could taste it. And so I followed a group of people a couple blocks out of the cloud, and they were all masking up, so I was putting on my gear too. So I went to a couple of guys who were just dressed like me, because we all wear black. Mm-hmm. And I said, was that tear gas? And they laughed and said, yeah. They sort of looked at me funny. And I said, well, that was my first. (laughs) And in unison, they said, congratulations. (laughs) Wow. So do you want to tell us, like, walk us through a night? Sure. Well, do you want me to walk through the gear, too? Uh, Sure. Like, what is it, like, talk about, like... Like, if you could walk us through even, like, leaving your house, what time do you leave your house, and mm-hmm. what do you have to do to be able to get downtown, and then what happens? Are you willing to walk us yeah, all the way through? sure. Okay. Well, every night's different, uh-huh. and I'm not one of the, I'm definitely not the most involved person. There are people who do this every single night, mm-hmm. so I don't want anyone to get the sense that my experience is, like, most people are the I'm one of the most active in this movement. Well, I think that what's so beautiful about this movement is that there are so many different roles. Mm-hmm. And you're playing one of those important roles. So I go out usually a couple times a week. Uh-huh. So, and I always have an exit plan, and the gear I bring is the minimum level of equipment to be safe and to get out of there if it gets dangerous. Okay, so, so what does that include? So I start with, um, before, before I even get out of my car, I uh-huh. put in earplugs. Uh-huh. I use the really heavy-duty industrial ones. Uh-huh. I think they're rated at 35 decibels. Oh, okay. I don't know about that kind of stuff, so you, you have yeah. to walk us through. Would, would, would those be ones you could... Yeah, you could buy them at the hardware store. Uh, okay. But they're designed for serious noise Uh so i do not go downtown without those in Mm -hmm. i pull one out if i need to talk to someone and they have a quiet voice Mm -hmm. but i keep my earplugs in all night Uh then over those i have a heavy helmet Uh it was designed for like serious bicycling oh okay so you need a good sturdy helmet because things can go flying through the air Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of really bad injuries, even with bystanders, mm-hmm. people who weren't up on the front lines who just got hit with something and ended mm-hmm. up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So you always have your helmet on. Uh-huh. Then I have a respirator. Uh-huh. And so I got one that uh, sits 
the straps sit underneath my bike helmet and the mask can rest on my chest. Oh, uh-huh. And then if we get the, if we either see that gas is coming or one of the leaders calls out to mask up, I can pull that respirator up and then lock the straps behind my neck mm. and that seals it to my face. Wow. And it's got filters that are designed for the particles that CS gas produces. Wow, did it help when you that first time that you yes. gassed? <laughs> then I have impact goggles that go over the top of that because you have to protect your eyes. And mm-hmm. there are cases, there are many cases where especially federal agents aim munitions at your face. Wow. There have been people who've been blinded out there. So having to have special goggles that are shatterproof or impactproof. Yes. Uh-huh. And then I have my shooting range earmuffs Mm -hmm. that go, I have to put those on last because they have to fit behind all of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I have gloves and a flashlight. And the the gloves I know are special because you can pick up hot containers, right? Yeah, people don't, I've never thrown anything. I've never had to pick up a canister. Uh But when canisters do come out they're very hot and you can get really hurt if you touch them mm. so, so i always just in work. case yes. something were thrown your way that you'd be able to get it out of the way yeah or at least protect myself yeah. from it mm-hmm. and i always wear long sleeve shirts with the gloves because uh either pepper spray or tear gas it'll settle on your skin Oof. and exposed skin is bad uh-huh. So you want to be covered as much as you can, which is not comfortable for someone who's sensitive to yeah. every thread of their clothing. Okay, so you've got earplugs, um, a respirator, goggles, earmuffs, gloves. Did I miss anything? Um, I carry everything in a backpack. Okay, so, so. you've got a lot going on. What's going on for you from a sensory sensory standpoint, when you are trying to wear all that stuff, it's not pleasant. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I, the The bicycle helmet and the earplugs—that's sort of the limit of my normal sensory level. Uh-huh. Like that's kind of your tolerance level yes, there on a regular basis. Yeah, like just earplugs. I don't like. Mm-hmm. They distract me. I'm not comfortable with them. And the helmet, it's not the top of my head that bothers me. It's the strap that goes under my chin because oh. I can feel it down both sides of my face. Uh-huh. And that's a place where you very rarely have pressure. Yeah. So I think pressure in that unusual angle really throws me a bit. Mm. Then on top of that, the respirator has straps mm. that are going um, perpendicular to the straps from my helmet so now there's more pressure on my face than goggles on top of that so my whole face feels like it's um under assault and the what really pushes it over for me is sealing the goggles down where now all of my senses are altered Mm-hmm. Everything looks different. It sounds different. I have a different sen- physical sensation. Wow, yeah. Every night it's the goggles that really make me go, this is real. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Okay, so we're walking you through a typical night. So you've got everything on. You're out of your car. You've got everything on. You're approaching the group of protesters. Mm -hmm. It's what, like 10 o'clock at night? Um, usually we meet at either 8 or 9. Oh, okay. And then march after that. Okay. It depends on the size of the crowd and where we're going. Okay. If it's just a night of speeches, it's earlier. So at those, you probably have most of your stuff then in your backpack at that yeah. point. Okay. okay. Yeah, you usually just have your helmet handy, and I uh -huh. like earplugs just in case someone throws a firework. Yeah. Okay. But once we march, so we go to a police building or mm -hmm. a federal building, mm -hmm. you need all your gear ready. So I usually I have my respirator on my chest. Mm -hmm. I have my goggles around my helmet so I can pull them down to my eyes. So you're ready, but And not then necessary. I carry my earmuffs. Oh, okay. So that way, if anything goes boom, that's my number one priority is getting my ears protected. Yeah. So tell us about one evening that was especially memorable. Oh boy, there have been several. So there's there's two nights that stand out. Okay. For different reasons. Okay, tell us. On one, it was the mayor's birthday. Oh. So a large group went to throw him a birthday party. During the protest. It was the event. Oh. That was our direct action. Was his birthday party. Ah, okay. So we started with a comedy roast in a park where people got up and told jokes about the mayor. <laughs> Okay, and was he present for that part? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he would have enjoyed it. Gotcha. But that's the right that we have, though, is to gather in a park and say what we want about the government. Sure. That's how our country started. Mm-hmm. And that was very peaceful and fun. People handed out party hats, so everyone had their gas masks on with party hats on top of them. <laughs> that must have been a visual. I don't remember seeing that in the news. <laughs> yeah. So we one rule is we don't photograph each other's faces. Oh, uh-huh. Because there's a lot of legal reasons you sure. don't want a record if you're out there. Yeah. So you, most journalists don't... I'll um, yeah. just take a moment to mention that um, we're in my backyard as we're doing this interview, and Maggie, who absolutely loves you, is saying hello. Hi, so if Maggie. the listeners can hear a dog in the background, that's who it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt it's you. It's okay. <laughs> so, so there are a lot of rules that journalists follow to make sure that no one's exposed, because it is dangerous. Yeah, There's both. Sense officials and individuals who could cause you harm mm -hmm. if they could identify you. Yeah. So we go out, we're all in black, we're all geared up the same. Mm -hmm. So on this night, we have this big fun party. People brought cupcakes. <laughs> it, it really, it was a party. It was a community event. Was it bizarre and memorable because it was... Like a party at the same time as a protest, like not that really. Just seemed like a because no. the everyone, it it's a community. We all we're uh, all comrades. Yeah. So having a party with your comrades doesn't feel weird, right? It's more surreal in how we're geared up. Oh yeah. And it's surreal just to think that we're in danger, yeah. just as a group of people in a park. Mm -hmm. The cops could show up and tear gas us. 
Uh, the militias could show up and try to run us over, which they've done many times. Wow. I've had to jump out of the way of cars. Um, when there was a shooting in Portland, I was two blocks away. So there's this sense when you're out there that there's real danger. This is not people who want a hobby. And we're having fun when we're telling jokes and we're listening to speakers and we're supporting each other. It feels good, but there's over there's this overarching sense of seriousness well it's just interesting I mean that's such a um, a way to imagine what it's like to be black in America really mm-hmm. of you know having to watch over your shoulder all the time you had a feel and still that, try and live your life you know yeah that there's there's real mortal danger yeah. in just being out in your own community. Wow. And that, that's one of the things that motivates me is yeah. to think that my experience in these nights is just a little taste of what it's like every day. Yeah. Not to say my experience is like theirs, but right. at least a tiny bit of it. Mm-hmm. You can imagine. Yeah. So on this night, we have this big party. And then we all march down to the mayor's apartment, which I guess is oh. now his former apartment. Oh. <laughs> and I'd, I'd never been there before, so I didn't know where it was. Well, the organizers knew they'd been there before. So we all march in this big group, and we've got signs, and we're chanting, and we're telling jokes. There was a guy in a giant teddy bear costume right behind me. <laughs> I know there's a guy with a trumpet or something, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, trumpet Always guy is out. Trumpet guy, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of regulars. Yeah. So we all march, and I know that we're going to end up at his place, but I don't know where or when. Mm. We arrived there, and I didn't know it. Oh. Because I'm just in the crowd, and we all stop. But stopping is pretty normal. Yeah, to... traffic or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that we'd stop because we'd arrived. And I also didn't know that somebody had, a group of people had planned to open this evening with a big fireworks display. Oh, boy. So I'm standing there in the crowd wondering where we're going to go. Uh-oh. And then right next to me is a huge volley of fireworks. Oh, no. And did you have your gear on yet? I, did, I had my earplugs in, but I didn't have my earmuffs on. So what happened to you? Like... Personally. Well, I had this moment where it, it hurt. Yeah. And I also had this this thought, like, okay, you're right next to a whole bunch of fireworks. This is intense. Yeah. So I immediately ran. Uh-huh. And I went behind one of the vans. You probably weren't the only one to run, were you? Um, I think other people saw it coming and most, oh. I think a lot of I, yeah, other people ran too, but I think I was the most panicked. Sure. So I ran behind a van because having some physical, you know, barrier, barrier yeah, it helps. Uh-huh. And then I immediately geared up. Uh-huh. And then I went and I stood at the back of the group and I, I took a moment and I asked myself, do you want to stay or do you want to go? Mm-hmm. I gave myself the option mm-hmm. to just say, okay, you marched down here, you stayed for the, the chill part of the night. Mm-hmm. If you want to call it now, you can go home. I like that you were kind to yourself. I mean, you could have so easily gone the other direction. 
of I can't do this, da da da. You know what I mean? And instead, it sounds like you tried to find the what you were doing and allowed yourself that out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's that's the way I get through hard things. Is mm-hmm. I ask myself, can you handle any more? Are you motivated to to risk more of whatever this mm-hmm. is? You weigh the risk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I stayed. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, the guy with speakers who comes out every night, we call him Sound Block. Mm-hmm. He played the Macarena, and there was a big dance party in the middle of the street. <laughs> Not quite what you had anticipated after the fireworks. Yeah, if you've never seen people next to a trash can fire dancing the Macarena in gas masks, <laughs> you haven't lived. Sounds very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> So there were fires, not building fires, but mm-hmm. people with people like lit trash some trash can. cans. Mm-hmm. And then um, later in the evening, I backed away. Just sometimes I needed to get out of the group mm-hmm. and give myself some space. Mm-hmm. So I would just walk half a block away. So I was still, for safety purposes, I want to be in sight of the group. Uh-huh. But just to give myself a little chance to breathe and decompress. Yeah. So I walked about half a block or a bit more away from the group, and I hear breaking glass. Uh-oh. I look over, and there's a guy dressed like us in black, but he doesn't have any gear. He's not part of us. Oh. He's walking down the street with a hammer, smashing out every window as he passes. Oh, wow. And, and I'd heard... Who, how did you... Like... If he wasn't with your, but he very well, he very specifically was not with your group, you could tell. Yeah, so I, what do you think he was doing? I think he was just causing trouble because he knew that we'd get blamed for it. Wow. But I'd heard stories, but I saw with my own eyes just some jerk. Wow. And yeah. That's garbage, frustrating. Trash can fires aren't great. They don't smell good. Right, I bet. <laughs> but, but things out there, it was a party. And then I don't know what happened, but somebody brought out furniture, like chairs. I guess they must have gone into a building, and they threw them in the fire, and it got real big. Wow. And what's funny is, in the middle of this anti-government protest, everyone would stop to let the streetcar through. (laughs) They even set the fire in a place off the tracks. To make sure it could still go through. Yeah, because... Portlanders might protest their government, but we are not screwing up our transit system. (laughs) So the fire got big, and I just knew something's going to happen here. So I geared up, and then we heard the LRAD, the long-range acoustic device, the sonic cannon that the cops use. Yeah. It's this booming voice that says, this is the Portland Police Bureau, Uh and this has been declared an unlawful assembly you will all leave the area to the, I don't remember what direction it was, north immediately. And so now I look over, there's this row of cops and cars and flashing lights. And two minutes later, they declared it a riot. Wow. And so we ran. And that was my first time running from the riot police. Wow. And so we got... What was going on for you when you were running? Were you terrified? Were you energized? Were you... What was it? I was really just being in the moment. Mm-hmm. Just, I've got all this gear on, but I can't think about it. Yeah. I just have to stay with the group. 
I have mm-hmm. to keep moving and I have to be flexible for whatever happens. Mm-hmm. So for, oh gosh, over an hour, we would group up and then the riot police would chase us down and we'd run. Wow. Just, it's... I've jogged before, but it's a lot different when you're running for your well-being. I bet. And at one point I saw somebody were rounding a corner, changing what street we're on, Mm -hmm. and somebody falls hard. Like they crash into a street sign and they go tumbling. Everybody stopped Mm. and picked them up and then pushed them to get them running again. Wow. Because they were... People were shouting, don't leave a comrade behind. Wow. And so as we were running, I watched the video later. Right behind me, a medic was knocked down by the cops and punched in the face repeatedly and put in the hospital during her arrest. Wow. And I just thought that could have been me. It could have been any of us. So at that point, I was thinking, maybe I've had enough. (laughs) And I realized that I'd parked my car well away from where the night had started. Uh-huh. Turns out that stupid me, I'd parked my car on the other side of the mayor's apartment building. Oh, no. Because I didn't know where it was. Oh, no. What'd you do? Well, I was stuck then, so I just had to follow the group. Wow. Wherever the cops pushed them, because I knew that if I went back to my car, it was all cops down there. You would have had to go through them, which wasn't a possibility. Yeah, I would have been arrested for sure if Uh I'd gone there. Wow. So I followed the group until it got late. Uh And then I broke off from the group and I put all my gear away in my backpack. And then I just casually strolled back a long way around. Mm. And eventually I passed the cops. And at that point I was just a pedestrian. Mm -hmm. And I found my car and called it a night. Wow. You know what I'm hearing from you, which I kind of knew, but I didn't quite know as much as what you're saying, of just what a community it is of people who are all like-minded and um, just all watching out for one another. Yeah. And, I mean, we hear in the media that the, you know, protesters are rioters and, you know, um, uh, super aggressive and... um, I don't know. I could go there, but I'm not going yeah. to. But anyway, there are some misunderstandings about the protesters, I think. And what you're saying is just how, what a welcoming scenario it actually was, despite the sensory issues, because people work together and watch out for each other. Yeah, you're, you're part of a group that really cares. Yeah. I talked to a friend the other night who'd served in the military, and mm-hmm. she said, that it sounds a lot like that experience where oh, you're you're in a dangerous situation and you're bonding with people. Oh yeah. And you're trusting them to have your back. Yeah. And that's a really powerful thing. Wow. To know we're in danger. Yeah. And not just from getting arrested, but there have been people who've tried to run us over. There have been Wow. Independent militias who have been shooting stuff or throwing stuff out of cars. And it's dangerous. Yeah. That night of the birthday party, there's a guy out there who, he has, um, he said, I have brittle bones. I think that's osteogenesis imperfecta. Mm -hmm. He's in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. He's there almost every night. 
they tried to arrest him, mm-hmm. and they put handcuffs on him, and I think they tore his rotator cuff. I read that in the paper, or in the news, yeah. And I've seen him out almost every time I've been there. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, think about what that's got to be like for him mm-hmm. to be at so much greater risk of injury than the rest of us. Yeah. And have so many more challenges just physically in... He's navigating all of this in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. and he's out there every night. Yeah, and he's talking trash to the cops, and he's funny and confident, and it just makes me think, like, if someone like that can go out there and face their challenges. You now, being afraid of fireworks doesn't sound that bad. Well, depends on the person experiencing it. So, um, yes. I'm thinking that we should probably wind this up, but what I'm mm-hmm. wondering is there, there are going to be other autistic individuals who are going to listen to this podcast and hopefully be inspired, um, who might want to advocate in a similar way. What advice would you give them? Gosh, there's, well, everyone's different, so... I would not recommend going straight from sitting at home to being out at midnight in the middle Mm. of a tear gas cloud. Yeah, don't go zero to 60. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So first, I think you have to do your homework. Mm -hmm. Know why people are out there, who is out there. Mm. Make sure that you understand what they're protesting for and that you agree with that. Mm -hmm. So in this case, in Portland... We're protesting against police brutality and Mm -hmm. for equality for the black community, Mm -hmm. both from our government and from the police. Mm -hmm. We're arguing that the police should be defunded Mm -hmm. and that money should be invested into the community and into a community um, policing force that doesn't have qualified immunity, that has to have body cameras. Yeah. So when they talk about defunding, it doesn't mean not totally taking all money away. It means better allocation of those. Abolishing the police is a statement that the police system is so broken. You can't reform it. Yeah. You need to take it apart, take that money and redistribute it, which could would include community safety. But if 90% of 911 calls are for, mental health or addiction or houselessness Mm -hmm. you don't need a quarter billion dollars a year for soldiers well there's a lot of other countries who have research around how great that can be so have it be so for this movement it's important for me to know why i'm out there Uh what i'm supporting you don't want to get into a situation where you find yourself with people you're not in alignment with right which can happen to some folks Mm -hmm. You want to know who's putting it together. You want to be real careful if you're contributing money that you know where it's going and who it's going to. That's a good point. So I would start by looking, first from a distance, look at journalists, not just national media, but local live streamers, look at Twitter. More independent journalists, I think is what, yeah. I never liked Twitter. I thought it was a pretty stupid place, but it's also a place where there's a lot of great journalism. Hmm. So I would look at that and ask questions. People want others to join the movement. Mm -hmm. So they're supportive. And then 
dip your toe in the water before you jump in. Mm. Go to something early. Be prepared to leave. And then work your way up. Not everybody needs to go, you know, and hold a shield when the police are shooting tear gas. Yeah. That's not for everybody. Right. But it's not all or nothing. So there's a lot you can do between nothing and getting arrested. You can write letters. You can get involved in local politics. Go to city council meetings. Do Zoom calls where you could talk to your elected officials. Look at the organizations involved in the movement you care about and ask them. Say, hey, I've, I'm not sure I could handle being out there in a 2,000-person march. What can I do? Mm-hmm. How can you use me? And then push yourself. I really believe that, at least my generation, I think, we have this idea that activism is just saying things. Mm-hmm. You know, I posted a meme. I shared a news article. I did my part. That doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. They call it slacktivism. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's not enough. I think if you really care, I think we have to go fight for change and it has to cost us something. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't just mean money. It could be energy, time, effort, risk. Would you be willing in the show notes for us to have, I mean, I like that, let's, against slacktivism, and what are some things you can do and kind of put a few options out there? Um, you have such good ideas that you just kind of listed that would be nice to have in, in the show notes. Sure. Awesome. I, I think the, the other thing that's important for people like me on Spectrum is this is also an opportunity to really push ourselves mm. and to grow. Mm-hmm. And in my work as a mentor and advocate and all of that, I talk to a lot of my clients about you know, the need to push yourself and get comfortable in uncomfortable situations to find the limits of what you can handle, yeah. to really get right at the edge where you have to ask yourself, can I stay for more? Do I need to exit now? And that's, for me, I think it's a, it's a good thing at this place in my life to be able to experience that and hopefully grow from it. Mm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan Chase. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, And for the listeners, I'll make sure to put a lot of these pieces into the show notes. And um, I'm sure we'll be seeing you again, Jonathan. I'll be out there. Yeah. See you out, out downtown. Okay. Synergy Autism Podcast. Thank you for listening in to another Synergy Autism podcast, and this one was with Jonathan Chase, and we have lots of information available on our show notes, which is um, Synergy Autism podcast. It's a blog, so you can find it by just putting into your search engine, Synergy Autism podcast and blog even. And you'll find all of the podcasts we've done and this one included and all the links that we talked about today. So thank you for being here and stay in touch. If there's something that you would like for me to do or someone to interview, please let me know. Happy to consider it.